Uh, we'll continue our series this morning, Get in the Game. We've covered a lot of ground. I know we started this at the beginning of the year, and uh, we started with this idea that you want to get in the game. When you're on a team, and you choose to be on a team, whatever kind of team that is, you are wanting to participate. You know, there might be people who like to say the exception, well, I just wanted the, the notoriety of being involved or whatever. Well, that's not typically true. We, we want to participate. We want to be a part of what's going on. When we choose to be a part of this team called the church, we should want to participate. And that's what Pastor Robert's been covering. We don't simply want to be on the team. We want to get in the game. So we've been challenged with why we should get in the game, some of our motivations to get in the game, and even ways that we can get in the game. We've touched on this idea of stewardship and managing resources, um, our money, our, our family, our lives, our talent, different things, and how that works. But these resources are not ours, and so that's where that idea of stewardship comes in. We have things that have been given to us that we are managing. Right? God has given us things and let us manage these things. So the next step um, in what we're going to do, you know, how do we get in the game? How, if you're in the game, how do you get further into the game? That net, next step can sometimes be uh, intimidating or overwhelming. Maybe you're not even sure what it is. Uh, I know for myself there can be times in our lives where we desire to try something new. You know, maybe you want to change or start a Bible time, devotion time for yourself, or maybe with your family, uh, prayer time, you know, whether it's in the morning or lunch, whatever time you, you do that, uh, starting that, or maybe even starting that with a spouse or a friend. Maybe it's taking on a new responsibility in one of the roles you have in your life within the the family and the home, your job, your church. There's a lot of different ways that this can, can come where we say, what's the next step? And the overwhelming part for me, I know, and I'm sure for a lot of you, is where does that time come from? We often think about how are we going to do something, but when are we going to do something can be just as important and worrisome to us when we're focused on that. Um, so that's what we're going to look at this morning, but first let's pray one more time for this uh, service today. God, thank you so much for your love and your goodness to us. Thank you for this time we have together to be with you, to hear your word, for you to teach us and to help us help work in our lives through Christ, how we can live in a way that glorifies you and become more like your son and that you can just help us as we try to use these things we learn in our lives as we go throughout the rest of the week. I pray that you would um, give me the words that you'd have me to say. Keep me from saying anything you don't want me to say. Just work through me and teach myself and the rest of our church as we study this morning. We thank you for Jesus and we ask these things in his name. Amen. This morning, we're going to look at what the Bible has to say for some practical help on how to make the best use of your time. This is going to be, we're going to look in Ephesians 5, if you're uh, looking that up, or if you follow along in our version event. 
Has anyone ever used a timer to get somebody to do something more quickly? This is a kind of old school one where you can actually hear the bell in there. But I know for me, I use this with my kids. Ours was digital. They're sitting over here and they'll remember this. If it was time to finish dinner, you have two minutes, start the clock. Guess what happened within two minutes? They finished their dinner, right? You guys remember that? How about cleaning up the living room? Putting your little tray tables away. Whatever it was, we would say, you're on the clock. Start a timer for whatever amount of time, go. And you know what? They worked like it was, you know, the end of the world was coming. They got, got it done. For example, let's say the school came in and said, church, we love having you, but you got to get these tables put back for the cafeteria in two minutes. With all these adults in here, if we all just grab a table and work together, we could do that, right? We have a little bit of urgency about it because we're on the clock watching it tick down and we know we got to get done. Sometimes the idea might be that you're the one who gets put on the clock by somebody else. Maybe at work or maybe when you're teaching. You have a timer so that you don't go too long. That's something that I'm working at as, a, as a, a newer teacher, but just staying within our timer and we have to finish because we know there's an end coming, right? Whenever we're going to be out of time, we have this urgency to get something done. If we take that idea of a timer and we apply that thinking to our lives and our families and to our individual Christian living, it gives us that urgency, and when we sense that urgency, it sets off that alarm internally that things have to get done. In our passage today, we see how we combine that idea of urgency with how best to use our time in Ephesians 5. Um, we don't have time to read through the whole chapter, but I'll, I'll break it down as we're going. In verse number 1, Paul says, therefore, he's, he's talking about living the Christian life, be imitators of God as beloved children. We all have children who, uh, or we've seen children who act like their parents, right? A lot of times that's good, but, you know, there's times where they pick up on that thing we really wish they didn't, right? And we want to copy God since we're his children. And so Paul says, walk in love, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. And so this idea here is, if we're imitating God, we're going to walk in love. Paul uses this word walk, and it's one of my favorites in, in the Bible, the way that it's used. He's talking about going through life, and we're walking through life. Because we kind of, you know, we go day to day, minute to minute, life goes, you know, time passes, but when you think about it, it's really this kind of journey we're on where we're walking through life. As things happen, we're coming, you know, each new minute, hour, day, we're coming to something new and what's happening around us. And so he wants us to walk in love because God is love and because Christ showed us love in giving himself up for us. So we have this example to follow. Throughout Ephesians and through the middle of chapter 5, Paul explains this, that we have 
as humans, and as we've learned with the three circles, we come from brokenness. Sin has broken our relationship with God. And so when we choose to follow Christ and we repent and believe the gospel, we have the opportunity to restore that. And Paul uses that contrast often. He says, we're going to put off the old self and put on the new self, which is in Christ. We were dead and now we're alive. We were asleep and now we're awake. He uses that contrast constantly. So throughout chapter 5, he's describing that uh, by saying these things, we used to be in darkness and we've moved into light. And so walk or live in light. He says, again, we were dead, we live in Christ, and Christ will shine in us. So all those contrasts. And that sounds really nice, right? Like it sounds amazing, like it's put this over here and take this over here. It's very simple sounding. But how do we move forward this way? How do we incorporate that into our lives? Look at verse 15, it says, Again, Paul's all these things about how to walk. And so he says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. So again, we see that word walk, and he's telling us to look carefully at it. We apply that idea of how we're living, how we're walking through life, if we look carefully at that, what we're doing is we are watching our steps with exactness and accuracy like you would when you're hiking and you're on a trail. You're watching where you step, right? You don't want to catch a big rock or a root or a hole in the ground. You want to step somewhere where your foot is going to be firm and you can move forward in your journey. He says to look carefully how you walk in the second part of verse 15 there, not as unwise, but as wise. So he's comparing how we walk is one of those two things. It's either wise or it's unwise. We're using wisdom in how we walk or we're not. So how do we carefully walk through life? And verse 16 answers that. Paul says, make the best use of the time. We all have time, and we all use time. We've all chosen to use some time this morning to be here. But as we go through our lives, each and every day, each and every moment, how do we make the best use of our time? So we're going to dig into that question, and first I want to start with some facts about time. These are all straight from the Bible. These are not facts that I came up with. The Bible is giving them. Facts about time, number one, our time is provided to us. Our time comes from God. God does not adhere to time the same way we do, right? He exists outside of time, and we are his creation, and he made time for us. He made the sun and the moon and the stars and the tides and the ocean and everything so that days would pass, and he called that morning and night. God instituted time for us. Remember at the beginning I mentioned the idea of setting a timer for your kids, whether it's in your kids or babysitting or whatever. When you set that timer, 
you don't have two minutes to do something, right? It's for them. And God has set time, but the time does not apply to him. He just doesn't follow time the same way that we do. I've heard a story one time. A man was resting, lying on the grass outside, looking up at the clouds, and decided to ask God, God, how long is a million years? And God, you know, looking down on him, replied, in my frame of reference, it's about a minute. And the man asked God, how much then is a million dollars? And God said, to me, it's like a dime. And so the man thought about it for a second, looking up, and he says, well, God, can I have a dime? And God looks and says, in a minute. <laughs> it's just not the same for God. And we don't quite grasp that all the time, do we? We're, we're finite, and we are... Um, although in God's image, we just we don't comprehend the lack of time. And so the Bible tells us in Psalm 94, uh, talking about God, a thousand years in his sight are but as yesterday when it is past. So God just doesn't see time the, the way we do. The Bible says that his mercies are new each morning, each day. He gives us new mercies and Psalm 118.24 says, This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Every day that we have comes from God. And the thing is, no matter how much we worry about it, we think, I can create more time. Or I can save it up and use it for what I need. And the fact is, we, we can't do that. We have a set amount of time each day. And we can use it how we choose to. That's what God has given us to manage for that day. But we cannot change the amount of time in a day or move it around how we want to. It all comes from God. Because of that, the time that we control is the present. This is number two. The time we control is the present. We live in a moment. Things just happened, right? We just did music. We're listening to a sermon that already started. Words have been said. After, we're going to, you know, clean up, maybe go to lunch. Some people might get their Sunday nap, right? We know things that exist outside of this moment, but we live moment to moment, right? As we're walking through life, we think about what's going on, but often we spend our time thinking about regret of things that have already happened or worry about things that are yet to happen. And whether it's the past or the future, we worry about it. It takes away from our thinking about this moment. We can't truly dictate what will happen in the future, and we can't do anything to change what has happened in the past. We know that in the future, we can try to be prepared for what's going to happen, right? We try to save up money for, you know, retirement, or even before that, you know, just 
emergencies or a vacation, the next trip. We try to be ready for things. But Proverbs 27.1 says, You do not know what a day may bring. And so we spend so much time thinking about it that Jesus actually taught about this even back in the New Testament time. In Matthew 6.34, this is part of his Sermon on the Mount. He's teaching on anxiety, worrying about food, worrying about clothes, because that's what they worried about back then. None of us look to be worried about where we're going to get our next new outfit or our next meal, but that's what they were worried about, just living day to day. And Jesus said, don't be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Like those problems that may come, if they happen, they will get to you. It doesn't matter if you worry about it now. Essentially, tomorrow is for tomorrow. Don't let that take you away from today. So as we focus on today, we recognize that what we can control is how we make choices in the present. Number three, our time is passing. Our time is passing. We have a fixed amount of time, and every day some more goes away. Right? We have no way to add more or to save it up from previous days for the future. Um, the Bible is very direct in Hebrews 9. It says it is appointed for man once to die. We all have this day in the future that we don't know, right? And it's written in our life. God is the only one who knows that. So remember the idea of the timer. Just like the timer, each of our lives kind of has this timer. And this is the part where we kind of get like, oh, wait, we're talking about like maybe dying? And we need to keep that idea in our life, in how we live. Because we have no promise that that next big trip or the next vacation, the next family thing, the next event, that we're going to make it to that. And it's, it's actually quite uh, almost between like narcissistic and selfish that we just assume it. You know what I mean? Now, I'm not here saying like, hey, every single one of you watch out for that bus. But we do, right? We drive carefully. We watch out for what's going on. We try not to stick a fork in an outlet. You know, we do things to try to be smart about our lives. But the fact is, there is a time where we know it will come to an end. We just don't know what that is. So our time is passing. We aren't extending it at all. We have a fixed amount that's running down. And lastly, because of all these, our time is precious. Our time is precious. Proverbs 21, I mentioned this verse already. It says, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Often, when we know how much of something is left over, it becomes important to us, you know, when you're running down like gas in the car. When our gas is getting low, we know, I need to get some more. Uh, your favorite snack at home, you get, grab the last one, 
oh no, I need to get more at the grocery store, right? It becomes important to us. Parents, friends, you know, spouse, that person in your life who you have one bite of something really good left and they ask you for it, it becomes very important. If you change that, though, to when you don't know how much you have left, it becomes that much more precious. And it should drive us to take advantage of the time we do have. So as we look at these, we think about time. Let's go back now and look at our passage again and how we use our time wisely. I read verses 15 and 16. Look carefully then how you walk, not as wise but as unwise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. The next verse says, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So when we talk about how to use our time wisely, the first thing we want to do is what Paul says there. Understand God's purpose for us. Understanding the will of the Lord goes hand in hand with what I mentioned before, is walking wisely through life. Um, when we talk about God's purpose, what does he want us to do? Paul says in 1 Corinthians, whatever you're doing, whether you're eating or drinking or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Now, we confuse that sometimes with like, everything I do, I have to like, cut my, my dinner and, you know, like glorify God each bite. Like we, we kind of like to think, oh, it's this harder task than, than I need to make it so that I, it's difficult so I understand why I can't do it this time, right? And we try to reason it away. But really, it's our mindset and our heart. Like Pastor Robert was saying last week, uh, the guy who had all the money and needed to sell it because it was in interfering with his heart. Like Jesus knew that. That's what he's after. It's not whether you have the money or have these things or your time in and of itself, but your heart. And if your heart is following God's will for your life, which is to glorify God. He tells us, love God, love your neighbor. You know, we have all these little commands, but when you put it together, it influences how you take those steps through life as you're walking. And whether you're using that knowledge that you've learned from God in wisdom, or you're shunning it, which he says is to, to not be wise, the best use of our time is that every decision, big or small, we're choosing something that's going to glorify God. Now, another thing about that is that we think some fun things might not be glorifying God. But when you need to do something, you know, you're on an outing with your family and your kids, it, uh, influencing your kids, spending time with them, spending time with your spouse, your family, your friends, those things can glorify God almost more than anything, depending on your roles in your life. And so we think like, oh, I, I want to sit around and play a game with my friends, but is that, yeah, you, you are spending time and investing time in those relationships. That glorifies God. And so it's not to say like, oh, we all, we all have to go and be missionaries today. We're going to spend our time 
building churches and passing out information. Like, it doesn't always look that way. Yes, it looks that way sometimes. We're to share the gospel. We've talked about that over and over. But sometimes it's listening. Sometimes it's praying with. You know, it's all those little moments where we choose to glorify God by doing the right thing. The second thing that we do is we pursue wisdom. As I said, we're trying to use wisdom in how we walk, but sometimes, most times, we could use more of it. Right? None of us have an infinite supply of wisdom. Let's keep learning more. Um, Psalm 90.12 tells us, Teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Numbering our days is another way to say that we recognize that we aren't promised tomorrow. To take care of our days and to take advantage of the day that we have, which is today, right now. When we do that, we are showing a heart of wisdom by recognizing the moment that we have and not worrying about the ones we think are coming. The third thing we do is we have the right priorities. Again, Pastor Robert touched on this last week. It's about your heart. What matters to you? What do we value? If we've put Christ at the top of our list, it helps us to navigate our decisions about how we use our time. Because the things that matter most get the most time. In uh, the Sermon on the Mount I referenced earlier, you know, Jesus is talking about these anxiety problems and people worrying. And he says, don't worry about these things. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And these things will be added to you. Now that last part can get taken out of context for Whatever you're worrying about can get added to you. And that's not quite what it means. He's talking about their basic needs is what they were worried about. Where am I getting my next meal? Where are we getting money for this and that? But the first part stays the same no matter what. Seek first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness, that's how we walk. If we walk after Christ. When we're making those good decisions, we are walking in His righteousness. When we worry about all the things going on around us, and especially things that are for the future, we take away our focus from right now. When we are focused on those worries, they are taking the priority. If we seek God first and seek to live righteously in Christ, these other worries don't need to be worried about. Again, not our wants, but our needs. This is when we have the right priorities and we start to let our priorities dictate that we're using our time wisely. The last thing here is that we be prepared for Jesus to return. So this is one last limit on our time. I mentioned the, the scary one about passing, right? Depending on uh, where you're at, you may think like you're okay with that. But there's another one. Is that Jesus could return at any minute. I really believe that. The Bible tells us that he could come at any minute and it's when we least expect it, basically. Because we're involved in life and doing our thing and taking care of what we need to. And Jesus could come 
like that. Matthew 25 talks about this, and he says, watch therefore. So not like stand there and you wait for it to happen, watch. Like when I was a kid, my dad, we, we had a street that kind of curved towards us. So if you looked at the front window, you could see the next street. When he was coming home from work, we would watch because we'd see the car and we could see it all the way up that curve, right? We would especially watch if we had something we were supposed to be finishing before he got home. But whatever the case was, we were looking for him to get home. That's what they're saying here. Watch for him to come because you don't know the day or the hour. He said it a different way in Mark. Concerning that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, not the Son. That's the Bible. That's Jesus talking. He says he doesn't know. God knows, and God is the one who's going to tell him, go. It's time to go. And in light of that, Jesus says, be on guard. Keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. Only God knows when he's going to send Jesus back to earth. And this is now two timers we have on our lives. We have a, a timer on our mortal body, right? But we also have this timer that Jesus could come back before that. A bunch of us in here could never see death because he could come back that soon. And if, if we don't at least acknowledge that, it's hard for us to make the right decisions with our time. If we live that way, though, just think about that. This could be the last decision I have to make. Every decision. You never know. But when we think that way, it helps us to be focused on what we need to do. So to use our time wisely, we must be about the Lord's will while we eagerly wait for His return. That's basically... Today's sermon in a sentence. To use our time wisely, we must be about the Lord's will while we eagerly wait for His return. Hebrews 9.28 says, Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, which He did at the first time. They don't clarify that here, but just in case we're not sure. He did that the first time. He took care of sin. This time it says, but... The second time is for saving those who are eagerly waiting for him. So when we put all that together, what Paul is telling us here in Ephesians 5, it describes our life with that action word, walk. You know, I haven't been able to ask Paul or God why they chose that word. I will in heaven someday. This is one of the things on my list as far as questions. It might sound like a kind of lame one, but I'm a little bit of a nerd, so it's okay. <laughs> I believe that word walk, like I said, that step-by-step step is to keep it simple. Like we think about life and days and time, it can be just crushing, this big idea. But when we break it down to each step we take through our life, you know, on a day, God willing, we wake up, right? So when we're asleep, we have no clue what's going on. So God willing, we wake up. We get dressed, we get cleaned, we eat breakfast, 
Step by step, we navigate our day. In each of these moments, there is a choice. A choice of where we will step next. Maybe that next step for you is something simple. You know, maybe it's to show a kindness to your spouse or to a child or to a neighbor. Maybe it's something like having patience. That's a big one with kids. That can be a big one with spouses. It can be even bigger with the strangers driving cars around Orlando like maniacs. We show patience to them instead of telling them what to do. The only thing holding us back from that decision is our choice, what we're going to do with it. If we have the right priorities because we've pursued wisdom and we know God's purpose for us, it'll be a lot easier to make that choice. We will know that right choice and we will want to make it. Maybe that next step is to commit to Jesus. Maybe you've never done that. Maybe you don't even know what that means. That's fine. We all need to ask him into our heart to forgive our sins, to be the Lord of our life. That's a fancy way of saying that he's in charge. We all need to do that at some point. You've been provided this time, right now, to hear this. This present moment is passing. And it's precious. And so God is calling each of us Maybe you've made that decision, but you're kind of off over here to the side and you need to get back to Jesus. And maybe, like I said, you never have. Maybe that's what he wants you to do today with this moment. That brings me, if you haven't noticed, all the points were P words. That brings me to my last one. Procrastinate. There's only so much time each of us has left, and when we lose someone, we say, I wish I had more time. When people get to the end of their lives, they often say, I wish I had more time. We hear that over and over. Church, the fact is, we can wish as much as we want, but we just don't know how much time there is left. I could live to be 70. Let's just say 70. That gives Jesus 30 years to come back before that timer ends, and I don't know when that's happening. Either way, I don't know how much time I have left. And so every day that I don't use my time wisely is just gone. It's just a, just a waste. Church, the fact is we just we don't know. And because it's unknown, please don't procrastinate. Maybe I mentioned a step that you need to take. Maybe I didn't. Maybe yours is different. There's so many possibilities in our lives that it could be anything. Maybe you need to follow Jesus. Maybe you need to talk to somebody about something in your life. Come to me. Come to Pastor Jay. Like, that's all we want to do. That's why we're here. It's not for us to, like, say, hey, we helped so-and-so. It's for us to take the Bible and show you what God says about it. What Jesus has done to take care of all those things so that we can be there to help others. We use this too. You know, you get to stand up here and preach. It doesn't mean that you've already solved this. I use this 
probably more than anybody, because I'm just another terrible sinner. That's what we all are. And so whatever it is, whatever the case may be, come to us and let us know, because we don't want to procrastinate. We want to be watching for Jesus. We want to be ready for him. And we want to use our time wisely in order to get there. Let's pray.